good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Yes, and welcome to another The Unfinished Mind podcast episode. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that hits a little closer to home for many students like us at UT Austin. I see what you did there. Yeah. We're going to be talking about um, something a little local, a little local. And we want to preface this episode with being like, we know it's not um, much of an interdisciplinary episode, but it's something that is related to our program at UT Austin, the Polymathic Scholars. So the Polymathic Scholars put on this event called Chautauqua every year. And Chautauqua is a Native American word for academic conference or academic discussion or anything that you can learn from. So essentially Chautauqua is this giant event that we put on every year in which we invite some speakers to talk about a certain decided topic for that year. And it's called, There's No Place Like Home, The Story of Austin's Housing Crisis. Now, if you didn't know about Austin housing or the crisis that's going on, essentially Austin is a growing city and it's the target of a growing tech industry in this area. Yeah, I would say exponentially growing would not be a, mm-hmm. an ill-advised term like that. That, right. that would be an accurate descriptor of what the situation. Essentially, we have huge companies like Apple and Tesla starting to Google, <laughs> Google to build their offices in the city, and it's becoming hard to find adequate, affordable housing for those who already live here. So essentially what we're going to be talking about today is what's going on. How has the history of Austin and the way that it has been formatted led to this crisis kind of? Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the story? So I mean I know Austin. Yeah, I've lived here a while now. Um great city, very beautiful got a lot of weird quirks everyone mm-hmm. everyone's very familiar with the weirdness of austin right um but i you know i don't know much about the history of it other than what i might have learned from like it's the capital of texas in, mm-hmm. in my in my education as an elementary student right so let's um let's dive tell, in tell me about it tell me about what austin's all about right so i'm aria and i'm ren and today we're going to be talking about the austin housing crisis to pair with our lovely event, Chautauqua, that is happening on April 6th at 6 p.m. on the UT campus. If you want to look it up, you can always Google search UT Chautauqua, and hopefully you will come upon the details of the event. Whoop, whoop. All right, so let's get started. Mm -hmm. History time, history lesson. Teach me. Like the majority of the United States, the area that was to become Austin was first inhabited by nomadic Native American tribes. The first European settlers were from Spain. They established missions along the Colorado River that runs through Austin. Anglo settlers founded the city of Waterloo in 1837, and after the Texas Revolution, the state selected several other cities to serve as its capital until landing on Waterloo in 1839. Waterloo. Waterloo. And Waterloo is the city that eventually became Austin after Stephen F. Austin. 
Stephen F. Austin is known as the father of Texas, as he led the colonization of the region with settlers from the U.S. First Texas president. First Texas president. Yep. If you didn't know, Texas was its own country. Texas was a country, 10 years, it had a good run. It was kind of terrible, terrible country, terrible financial situation, but she existed. Yeah, a lot of Texans like to mention that. um, (laughs) We just felt like it was needed for the historical basis. Mm -hmm. But when building Austin, the city plan was created by Judge Edwin Waller, who was the city's first mayor and who Waller Creek is named after. Wow. And it remains fairly similar to Austin's current layout. So Austin's current layout has been existent the same basically since the 1800s. Which makes sense because like it's weird. Like there are Mm -hmm. underground like tunnel situations flowing throughout the downtown area that just look ancient. Like they're just Mm -hmm. old brick. And I always wondered like what what are these all about? <laughs> Why are these here? Because I've never seen them in other like Texas cities. And the but... city grid. And the city it's, grid. It's a grid. Yeah. It, the downtown is a very <coughs> methodical laid out grid. Yeah. So it's very much like New York City where it's just like mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, <laughs> straight down, perfect squares um, or rectangles, sort of oblong, easy to navigate if you don't, if you're not from here. Mm-hmm. So essentially it laid out the planned positions of important structures and important buildings that would help Austin kind of build itself and grow on its own, allowing the space for it to do so. So no growing pains. Sure. Based off of the rate that they thought that Austin would grow by, but of course that rate has very much increased i don't think our forefathers imagined uh just how just how big this city would get right and it even laid out the position of the capitol building which was built nearly 50 years later huh 50 that's amazing it's a lot yeah it's sectioned off huh (laughs) whole hill huh yep UT Austin, our university, was established in 1883, and it helped establish Austin as a cultural and educational hub city, because UT Austin was the best university in Texas. It was the first university in Texas Mm -hmm. at the time. So obviously, Austin, big, big academia, big education. Big education, big, um, all the other things that go along with early Mm -hmm. educational facilities. Yeah. And the Great Granite Dam, built in 1893 on the Colorado River, boosted the city's economy by providing more electricity for manufacturers. The Great Granite Dam ended up being a failure, but it still helped that initial growth for Austin. Austin remains an attractive city for many entrepreneurs and businesses to this day. And 100 years later, there was a big developmental boom in the 1970s. Many musicians moved to Austin from Nashville at this time, trying to escape the corporate world deeply rooted in Nashville. This meant that Austin gained a reputation for its live music scene, eventually becoming known as the live music capital of the world. Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm not much of a concert person, but I love I love that people who just 
want to vibe to some live music can do it in Austin. Absolutely. I have a friend who's an aspiring musician. And when we were both like planning to come to UT, he was like, I got to go because it's the music capital of the world. And I was like, it's the what? Yeah. Like, no one ever told me. Yeah, but... it's not something that is said very often, yeah. but I think it's really cool. And it's definitely really nice for the college experience because oh, yeah. college students many different interests a lot of us are interested in concerts yeah. so and if you're just walking around on like thursday through sunday nights you'll find a concert somewhere it'll be cheap 10 bucks 15 bucks you can get in there mm -hmm. it's great love it and austin continues to evolve and grow but it maintains a reputation as a booming city for technology and the arts and it holds a particular draw for young people it's party town party yeah. city party city party city but it's, it's also just got, you know, a lot of fun, fun culture. I mean, fun it's fun got a city. huge university with 60,000 students, both mm -hmm. undergrad and grad students. Yeah, massive. It's it's a huge university. Needs to be a lot of young people. Things for young people to do. Certainly. There's the city part. Then there's also the nature part. Mm -hmm. Plenty of hiking trails around if you just drive out like 20 minutes. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll get into that, too, because the nature mm -hmm. part is like really important to Austin and its roots. But um, let's first kind of discuss maybe the most most famous thing that Austin has, the thing it is most known for, which is its weirdness mm -hmm. and the, the catchphrase keep Austin weird. I, I knew I've known that phrase since I was a wee child. You know, <laughs> um, you can't hear about Austin without hearing keep Austin weird. Mm -hmm. um, but what does that phrase actually mean? Where did it come from? Why do we say this about Austin? I thought it was just like some some part of Texas. Right. So the phrase keep Austin weird actually comes from a uh, an incident in 2000. So it's not like super old. It's about about 2000. This came about. So in 2000, Austin Community College librarian Red Wassenick phoned into KOOP Radio's The Lounge Show to donate money. When the radio host asked why he was contributing, Wassenick replied, I don't know, it helps keep Austin weird. And there you go. With that <laughs> reply, a slogan was born. And Austin's international reputation for being weird, zany, and slightly off kilter was established. And keep Austin weird is actually there throughout the city it's written on trash cans oh yeah it's written like on walls of stuff it's just everywhere so austinites are very very aware of the saying and very proud of it for sure and you know those like transformers that are just sort of in the middle of the street i yeah. don't know what they're actually called but they're like big electric boxes yeah yeah, yeah. and everybody paints those there's mm -hmm. several that say keep austin weird those are fun um and funnily enough wasnick admits that at the time he was in his 20s and everyone thinks that in their early 20s, like Austin is weird, but it is true. So after the phrase keep Austin weird began to spread, local businesses began to take notice and urge shoppers to buy local, uh, which is also sort of a catchphrase mm -hmm. of Austin at this point. Uh, Steve Burku, founder and co-owner of Book People, which is a bookstore located downtown and current board president of the Austin Independent Business Alliance recalls that in 2002, as Keep It Weird was becoming an ethos for many Austinites, book people in Waterloo Records created bumper stickers reading Keep Austin Weird, along with the tagline, support local businesses. And honestly, book people in Waterloo are two of my favorite stores. They're mm -hmm. so fun. There's such a good time. Despite the city's growth and the near constant debate about whether Austin is truly weird, the mantra and shop local mentality has remained for nearly two decades and spread to other central Texas towns. 
But as Austin grows, there is worry that the city is increasingly at risk for losing its weird vibe to commercialization and high-rise condos. Um, I've even seen some like propaganda stickers around, you know, mm -hmm. as people leave that was like commercialization is the death of art. And first of all, true, I'm with I see you. It, yeah. I agree with that. But like, I'm seeing those stickers like stuck up all over mm -hmm. Austin lately. So clearly Austinites are feeling the pressure of that as well. And, and I'm worried about it. A lot of the, I'm pretty sure I'm, you have probably seen this happen as well, but there's a street next to the university called Guadalupe Street. And um, obviously it's right next to a university, right next to student housing. Mm -hmm. Rent prices on that street are gonna be huge. And a lot of the businesses, the original local businesses that were on that street have been going out of business yeah. recently and being replaced with more commercial or like giant businesses. Yeah. So for I example, think, we have a Wingstop now. Yeah. Didn't know. I think the biggest loss too, in regards to Guad is um, the historic varsity theater. Yeah. which is located on 24th in Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. And that theater is something that has been around since the 50s when my dad was growing up in Austin. And he like went there as a child and they replaced it. It was, first of all, it was a black owned theater. It's right. like really, really important building. Um, mm -hmm. And it was something of a like revolutionary building in the 50s and 60s for that to exist. Um, and it was really important. And they, first of all, it hasn't been a theater in a long time. Um, but they kept the facade of it, like they kept the sign mm -hmm. that said Varsity Theater, even though it was out of business and there was like a Baskin Robbins in there or something. Um, but recently, CBS came in and painted over the mural and destroyed the Varsity sign and like just completely remodeled it. And it's it's a it's a tragedy, like it's mm -hmm. a real tragedy. But that's how commercialization is like sort of killing the vibe <laughs> in mm -hmm. Austin, killing the weird vibe. Um, and that is unfortunate. But I mean. We'll be dealing with that, of course, in the next couple episodes or so. And um, there are some people who aren't so worried about it. Like Wassenich, for example, the founder of the phrase, isn't isn't too worried. Um, he says a lot of the populace has an open attitude towards life and is friendly. And that's still true, I think. It ain't as funky as it used to be, but neither am I. And I like that mentality, you know. Um, even though commercialization is is definitely taking a toll on the city of Austin, it it, it it's still Austin, you know, it's Ultimately, still Austin. it's the attitude of the people that live here that matters, yeah. right? Uh, you can be open-minded, but part of the reason that the city is considered weird is its residents. Absolutely. There's some funky folks mm -hmm. in this town. But there is another very pressing issue as part of the city's history mm -hmm. and something that is becoming more and more talked about in the media as of late or just the people recently mm -hmm. if you didn't know obviously austin's growing a lot of tech companies are coming to the city which means a lot of rich people are coming to the city and are buying out houses from poor people who are already here and a lot of gentrification is happening but it's not just a phenomenon that is seen in the last 10 years it's been going on since the 191800s yeah, absolutely so essentially we're talking about class segregation and redlining in the city because i35 separates austin into west and east and there is a very clear racial and class divide and it is 
100% something that was intentional mm -hmm. and that the city developers at the time knew they were doing. So we're gonna just describe how that happened. So in the 1920s and the 1930s, redlining divided Austin neighborhoods into primarily African-American or Hispanic neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. It's actually pretty clear on maps during that time as well. You can see if we had a map of demographics in Austin and where mm -hmm. each racial group is residing, it's very clear that they are in very separate neighborhoods. Yeah, and I mean, this is just a pattern that every major city in Southern and for that matter, Northern, Northern. Um, you, the United States has been doing since the liberation <laughs> than since the liberation of slaves honest to god um and it's something it's a trend you can see in any major city any map you look at you see these red lighting patterns that right. racially segregate so so austin is not the only city is what we're mm -hmm. trying to say yeah uh just be aware of that federal services were also limited in distribution to neighborhoods of color so neighborhoods that were predominantly white got more federal resources whereas neighborhoods that were uh, predominantly people of color did not get as many services or resources. Sad to think about, but after World War II, white veterans were given greater compensation, leading to a greater wealth gap and further separation between white and non-white neighborhoods. Even when these neighborhoods opened up to people of color, many POCs found it difficult to move back because of the higher rents and costs of living. In 1973, it was seen that 85% of Travis County residents lived within the city center instead of in suburban areas. For decades since the 1920s, in order to maintain Austin's image, African-Americans were moved to the east side. They were moved to the east side of Austin to maintain downtown Austin's image. And many businesses also forced many minorities to relocate from downtown as businesses bought up lots and former housing spaces. It's just some disturbing statistics mm -hmm. um, for sure. And after World War II, Rainy Street was primarily a Hispanic neighborhood and was trying to get national historic status as such but eventually due to businesses and local districting practices, it was made into a commercial area as we know it today. And it is a very commercial, it's a mm -hmm. club street. There's just, it's bars, just bars clubs, and clubs restaurants. and hotels and restaurants all the way mm -hmm. down. And um, don't get me wrong, those places are pretty cool. Like they're still local Austin businesses, but it, it, it was erasure essentially um, mm -hmm. is what happened there. And again, as we were saying, I-35 is a significant landmark in Austin. It goes through like the entirety of Central Texas. It's a huge highway. Um, and today it, it still shows clear segregation, um, at least in the city of Austin. Studies have shown that Austin is one of the most economically segregated cities in the country. And this is clearly seen in different sides of I-35. So Eastern Austinites must deal with greater environmental hazards, worse living conditions, and um, have generally been excluded from the culture of Austin. Like no one wants to go east of I-35 because there's not much over there. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually a lot over there, but I mean, people don't realize it because the downtown is in the west side. A lot um, of it is becoming gentrified now though. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> because um, I think there's, there's a hospital in that area and the surrounding area has become very 
gentrified lots of new buildings mm -hmm. new builds new um like i feel like sixth and seventh are sort of creeping over the interstate and just yeah. populating the east side as well and as that happens it's pushing people further yeah. and further just because away. and and it's not just because of this tragic history and just the way that Austin is built it's because there's just so many people yeah yeah that all of this is going to bleed into spaces that unfortunately it shouldn't be in yeah and i mean we're just being inundated with this population influx right now mm -hmm. and um the fact that it is disparately affecting people on the east side who happen to be people of color mm -hmm. is not necessarily intentional it's just that the history separated them and put these communities in place and now like we're still going to be we're dealing mm -hmm. with it now we're dealing with it because yeah. we are expanding and like it's just the way it's going to be it's not exactly intentional it's just the mm -hmm. side effect of history essentially history formed a basis for these trends to occur yeah and it's not great Ren mentioned Eastern Austinites dealing with greater environmental hazards. There's probably, it's because there's factories and just not enough um, maintenance of the cities across the highway. It floods easier too. Mm -hmm. It's just not, it's not, it's not great. Yeah. But let's talk about the green belt, oh, the environment yes. and Austin's environmental history. So behind Austin's nature scenes is the history of Austin's green politics and the fight for preserving the city's green spaces. In the 1970s, a group called the Austin Environmental Council urged city council to pass ordinances to protect the creeks in Austin. In response to the concerns about urbanization, the Save Barton Creek Association was established in 1979 to protect and conserve the Barton Springs Edwards Aquifer, which is a pretty rad place. Mm -hmm. So glad Very that nice. so glad that's been preserved. The opposition against planned unit development in 1990. In the late 20th century, the corporations Freeport McMoran and Club Corp, well, these companies proposed a 4,000 acre development plan to turn Barton Creek into a subdivision commercial area and golf course just a few miles away from Barton Creek, Barton Springs. Word about this proposal was spread through grassroots organizations and word of mouth, um, which influenced citizens to gather at an Austin City Council hearing and, you know, protest. On June 7th, 1990, hundreds attended the hearing to fight against the proposal, and the hearing lasted 14 hours, which, man, that, that does not sound like a good That time. sounds like the people at the U.S. Capitol filibustering. It That's sure does. It I was like. thinking of what books were they reading in the yeah. filibuster, because clearly something was happening. The Austin City Council unanimously voted against the proposal, which influenced Austin's green politics in the following years, set a good precedent. Nice. Now, however, this hearing alone did not wholly protect Barton Creek, and the developers built some parts of their proposal and persuaded the passing of bills that weakened Austin's powers in regulating development. So it was kind of a win-lose situation, but it did at least inspire future politics um, in regards to green planning. The citizens of Austin continued to push to protect the city's green spaces. People sought to strengthen the 1986 Comprehensive Watersheds Ordinance. In 1992, the Save Our Springs Ordinance was established to protect the water quality entering the Barton Springs watershed from development. So keep those nasty chemicals out. Now that coalition is called the Save Our Springs Alliance or SOSA 
as of 1997 and a nonprofit organization that intends to advocate for and protect the Edwards Aquifer in Barton Springs um, is how it has been established. In 2013, the Watershed Protection Ordinance was passed. So we now have pretty solid regulation um, for these watersheds, which are super important to the Austin environment and keeping our water clean. Um, that said, the Colorado River still does grow some sort of mold that's bad for dogs to eat. And that mm -hmm. does, that is, or not mold, algae that's bad for dogs to eat. So that's probably because of chemicals, but like, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> um, Essentially, there's a lot of amazing regulation going on to protect the environment or the natural environment of Austin. And it's very much appreciated because those things must be preserved. Certainly. Very important. But so, yeah. I mean, all in all, looking at the full picture that we've discussed here today, um, Austin is both a really cool city that has a lot of fun stuff going for it. A lot of green spaces to go frolic in, um, a lot of fun local shops to peruse, um, but it has also got something of a dark history and a dark mm -hmm. past that is, of course, leaching into its future. I mean, we still see in like modern legislation within the city of Austin, and we'll talk more about this in future episodes, but like we are still seeing some mm -hmm. very damaging uh, laws and bills and proposals being put into place mm -hmm. because of Austin's history. Much to learn about, much to think about. Indeed. So this was our Chautauqua part one pregame episode. Pregame, if Ch you will. Chautauqua pregame before the event. Just to hype up what we're going to be talking about, uh, the present of Austin's housing crisis, mm -hmm. just to give it a little bit of information, a little bit of history, so we know how to approach the talks from our wonderful speakers, one of whom is the mayor of Austin. The mayor. Mr. Adler. We didn't know that he would, it was amazing that he accepted. Yeah. I'm very happy. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. But thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Tune in next week where we take a little bit of a break from some of the heavy stuff. Yeah. Talk about something exciting. Take our mind off the city and put our mind in a new direction. Take it out to the countryside. <laughs> That's not relevant to next week's topic. Don't worry. But the week after next we will be talking about the future directions of the housing crisis so we should talk about part two coming to you this has been aria and i've been ren and thank you so much for listening this week's episode the unfinished mind is brought to you by the polymathic scholars our script writers this week were akshi bump arianne austria liz knirk and ria gogia Sound designed by Jensen Richardson and Amaris Mendoza. Produced by Natalie Lim and Sai Chiruvu. Our publicist is Claire Nevins. Hosted by Arya Bakare and Ren Smith. Thanks for listening, and remember to follow your curiosity. <laughs>